Coming up on Studios America, we'll talk with one of the very few news publications actually covering the Nazarene Fund and their rescue efforts in Afghanistan. A reminder for everyone that China is actually freaking terrifying and we should be paying attention to them. And is Joe Biden dependent on his party or are the Democrats dependent on him? Let's break down the weirdest case of Stockholm syndrome ever as we do the removal of Biden. Stu does America. Well, we're not even a year into the Biden presidency, and already people are talking about him being removed from office. Not the best sign in the world for your first year. In fact, I will say, uh, I get this question all the time. People bring this up to me all the time. This is going so badly, surely they're going to remove this guy from office. Which is incredible. I mean, we're only a few months in, guys. We have multiple years to go. You guys realize this is a four-year term. I know it sounds like torture, but here's the thing. It is torture. Question comes in all the time. Are they just going to get rid of this guy? I mean, this is going so badly. And of course, there's the fear of Kamala Harris being right behind. And we'll get into these scenarios here in a second. But I'm going to tell you, I think definitively, why that is not going to happen, at least for a while. We'll get into the details in just a second, but let's first look at how bad things are going in Afghanistan right now. We have uh, the new plea from the White House to the media. This uh, headline from Politico, White House to media, we want our props on Afghanistan. You want props for this? Really, do you? It's incredible. In the span of a week, the White House went from struggling to explain a rapidly deteriorating situation in Afghanistan to beating its chest. Top Biden officials and administration allies have begun aggressively touting the success of their evacuation efforts in the war-torn country, offering frequent updates on the number of evacuees. They framed the operation as historic, in line with the Berlin Airlift declared that they're overperforming their own metrics and trumpeted the president as defying expectations. I understand. You're in the communication shop of the White House. You have to come up with something to say. But really? You want credit for this? Are you serious? I mean, even, even if we decided to ignore Every piece of evidence we know about this situation, you'd be bragging about running away really well. But of course, we're not even running away effectively. That's what's so pathetic here. We're actually running away poorly. We're not even good at running away anymore. And we're not even good at telling our allies we're going to run away anymore. Biden assured allies in June. How old were you in June? Do you remember June? It was such a long time ago. You might not be able to remember this. They had black and white TVs. Radios were all the rage. And they had, uh, you know, they had automobiles, but barely. Back in June of 2021, Biden assured allies that they would maintain enough security presence in Afghanistan to ensure that they would continue to operate in the capital following the main U.S. withdrawal. A vow made before the Taliban's rapid final push across the country, according to a Br British diplomatic memo seen by Bloomberg. Biden promised 
UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson and other leaders at the Group of Seven Summit in England that critical U.S. enablers would remain in place to keep Kabul safe following the drawdown of NATO forces. Uh, that didn't work out all that well. I don't know if you know that. No wonder he wouldn't return Boris Johnson's calls for 40 hours. Would you want to take that call from him after you promised him this exact thing would not occur? Total and complete failure, but give him props for it. This, I mean, what's going on is disgusting. It is really a revolting thing. And I mean that with every freaking piece of of anger and uh, every element and ounce of just I, I cannot despise this more. This is a, a tweet uh, from Eric Amansky. He says, former CIA officer organized a rescue group, a rescue of 500 Afghan interpreters and other special visa holders. They made it to the airport. Then they were kicked out of the airport by the State Department. This is happening all over the place in Afghanistan right now. And think about the people who just didn't happen to live in Kabul. Do you think they could have made it from Kandahar? Do you think they could have made it from Jalalabad there? I doubt it. I doubt those roads are easy to travel for an American. Now, maybe we're saving some of the people who are actually right there. But what about some of the Afghan interpreters? And I don't even mean just people who helped interpret while we were in Afghanistan and helped the war effort. I'm talking about some of these people picked up weapons and fought with our military against the Taliban. The people who saved American military lives are still in Afghanistan. There's a story today about one, uh, one uh, person who worked closely with U.S. Uh, military forces throughout the war and went to get their paperwork to get out, had it the proper letter from the proper U.S. military organization for them to get out, it was on the wrong letterhead, and they sent him home. Incredible. Incredible that this is happening. Lawrence O'Donnell, though, is taking the props side of the argument. What a surprise. He's listening to exactly what the Democratic presidential administration wants him to say. And he's on MSNBC. Uh, it's just a total center. Roll the dice. Who knew those two things would come up together? He tweets this. Evacuated from Afghanistan after Kabul fell, 70,700. Evacuated from Vietnam after Saigon fell, zero. You do understand the goal is to remove the people before the city falls, right? Are we really going to sit here and celebrate that so many people were left there as the situation crumbled that there was a need to evacuate 70,000 people? The point is, you get them out beforehand. We were evacuating the majority of the people in Saigon a month before anyone showed up to take the city over. But let's praise this effort, this incredible effort to run away from the Taliban and let them set red lines for us and then ask the, the press for some props because that's rational. And you might say to yourself, well, you're making the case that he is going to be removed. I mean, this is a situation that is so out of hand and so terrible and so far, honestly, beyond even the expectations of someone like me who thinks Joe Biden sucks. I think he sucks. He's pretty much senile. He's never been good at anything in his life. Yet even this, a person like me, I am flabbergasted by this.
So why wouldn't he be removed? Well, there's a pragmatic reason for that. Let me show you. This is sort of the situation we have right now. We'll do a little uh, role uh, game playing here for you. Role playing, uh, that's more for the weekends. We'll get into that later. But we're going to do a little uh, game, uh, game theory here. This is uh, how the situation looks right now. As we know, President Joe Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris, and importantly, a 50-50 Senate. Now, as you know, if you happen to follow politics, you may know that if it's a 50-50 vote, like this $3.5 trillion they want to spend coming up soon, if they can get that through, $3.5 trillion, well, you're going to have a deciding vote. And so Kamala Harris will come over and side with the Democrats, right? We know how this works. This will get it to a 51-50 vote. You pass the Democratic bill. All your dreams come true if you happen to be a Democrat. But what happens if Joe Biden is just so bad that he gets removed? Now, we know there's, of course, a risk of Joe Biden having health issues or something like that. God forbid. He's 147 years old, after all. So this could happen, obviously, at any time. The problem, though, is let's just say he's you know, that's, of course, a concern that is on the table for Democrats. But this idea that he would do such a bad job and be removed, he would be so ineffective. He would have a 20 percent approval rating. Let's just say everything goes off the off the rails right now. He's at something like 47 or 48 percent approval rating as an average. There was a poll that just came out that put him at 41 percent, which is by far the lowest of his presidency. But, you know, look, you, you don't remove presidents with 41 percent approval ratings. It's just, you know, that's not what you do. You power through that. If it gets down to 20%, 25%, let's just say this goes even more awry. God forbid it gets even worse. What happens then? Let's just say he is removed. So you have no president. Vice President Kamala Harris is behind uh, in the vice presidential slot. So she moves up to the, vice pres uh, to the presidential slot. And the vice presidential slot is now empty. Who's going to fill that vice presidential slot? Well, Kamala Harris is going to be able to pick, right? Kamala Harris is going to pick a vice president and things should be fine, right? Eh, not if you're a Democrat. The problem is that vice president needs to be confirmed. And one of the area, uh, one of the branches that needs to confirm that vice presidential candidate happens to be the 50-50 Senate. That's a major issue because that vice presidential slot that would break the tie is empty. So now you have an empty vice presidential slot with no tiebreaker. The Republican Party can block that vice presidential slot and basically block any bill that the Democrats want to pass. So basically, no matter what, the Democrats are going to have Joe Biden in office for as long as he needs to be there, at least until the 2002 election. Why? Well, they can't do anything without him he is absolutely crucial they may think he sucks and they would be right and you know of course we think kamala would be worse but maybe they don't think that maybe they think kamala would be a fantastic president reading the internal leaks from the administration i don't think that's true but if they were to put kamala harris in the number one slot and leave that number two slot blank you would have a situation that not only would the Democrats not want, but I don't think Kamala Harris would want it either because you'd have a 50-50 Senate with no vice president, so you'd have no control over the Senate. And the next in line for the presidency would be Nancy Pelosi. 
if you don't think she's she's going to her local rat poison hut to figure out <laughs> what her next move is, uh, you don't know Nancy Pelosi that well. By the way, have you ever seen this pen before? Nancy Pelosi sucks. Nancy Pelosi sucks pen.com. She would be using it to probably jam it in the neck of, her, of whoever's nearby to get that gig. I promise you that. I mean, nothing would make Nancy Pelosi happier. She becomes the next in line. Kamala would better buy a force field. So how does this play out? I will tell you this. If Joe Biden, God forbid something bad happens to him health-wise, you never can control that stuff. But if he, everything up until death, they will protect that seat, at least until 2022. Now, when 2022 comes, there's a very good chance the Republicans take control of the House or the Senate, and this isn't going to be nearly as important, though it's still important for things like judges. I mean, that's a crucial thing. Now, if the Republicans get control of the Senate, all bets are off. And you might say, hey, well, the Republicans might come along and approve a vice president in this scenario. And that is possible, especially if they were to um, name someone who is super moderate, pick someone like Joe Manchin, right? Joe Manchin goes in as vice president. Maybe you know, some of the Republicans say, well, he's kind of fair. At least he's a moderate. He, you can have him. But you can't do that, right? The same thing would be a problem. You put Joe Manchin in there, then all of a sudden it's 50 to 49 in the Senate, and a red state governor is going to be able to pick the replacement. There's lots of problems here. It's very difficult. This is why you don't want to have majorities that are this thin. You know, the Democrats uh, are not good. They ran a campaign basically saying, we swear we're not Donald Trump. That was enough to get them into the White House, but with really slim majorities uh, in the House, uh, only three or four votes they could lose there. And in the Senate, they can't lose anybody. So they are really boxed in. So in 2022, that might change. They might have a more negative outlook. If he's doing really bad, they might try to do this, this little switcheroo. It's possible then. And it's possible, at the very least, after they get this $3.5 trillion through, they may realize, well, we're never going to get any of these. But still, judges are on the table. I mean, the judges are still huge. They need the Senate. They don't want to lose judges. They don't want to lose a $3.5 trillion bill. They don't want to lose these things. They will prop Joe Biden up like he's Woodrow Wilson. And, you know, uh, when he was running, and for a less nerdy reference, like it's Weekend at Bernie's. And they will have him sitting in that chair, waving at people with strings on his hand for six months if they have to, to make sure they get the judges they want in. They are not going to remove him. Now, of course... By the time you watch this, they probably will already have removed him. But I will say, they really can't do it. I mean, they really can't do it. If It would have to get to such an insane extent. And they would have to admit a lot of things that Republicans have been saying for a while. This guy is not capable of doing this job. This guy is not capable of doing any job. This guy is not even capable of running the shuffleboard game at your local retirement home. He should not be president of the United States. Look at what he's doing to the country. And it's not just Afghanistan. It's spending. It's inflation. It's the border, which continues to be completely out of control and no one's talking about it. Joe Biden has been a catastrophe as a president so far. And he should be removed. I mean, he should be removed over what he's done with the eviction ban, let alone all this other stuff. But the Democrats will protect Joe Biden as if they like him. He is incredibly important to them. And for just this silly reason that the Republicans could block 
literally everything they want to do from here forward if that change had to be made. So, no, they're not going to remove Joe Biden unless, God forbid, something uh, terrible happens with his health. And that's, of course, uh, out there. But there's not there's no choice to be made here for Democrats. They came in with the slimmest of majorities and they are going to exploit that every single second of this term until they absolutely have to change. Back in a second. So are you in the real estate market right now? If you are, you know what it's like. It is strange. I, you know, people tell me all the time, well, we put our house on the market. We got three offers the first day and some of them were over our asking price. That's starting to cool down maybe a little bit, but not much. It's, it's a crazy market right now. If you're trying to sell a home, this is the time to take advantage of it. You may never see an opportunity like this again. I have a friend who decided to sell their house because it was just going so well. They had made so much money and they said, you know what? I'm going to move into an apartment for a year and then maybe I'll buy in a year when everything cools down. These are the decisions people are making right now because of the market being the way it is. If, if you're in this position or if you're looking to buy a home, either way, you need to have the right person on your side. Always have a buying agent when you go in to buy a home. Have someone on your side of the argument doing some negotiation for you, looking at this uh, rationally from your best interest. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to find the best person for that role. Realestateagentsitrust.com. It's Glenn's company. He's been doing it for a long time, screening real estate agents so you have the best one in your area. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Joining me now, Dan Andros, managing editor of faithwire.com. Dan, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks for having me. Uh, imagine my shock, Dan. I'm on the interwebs the other day, and I'm scrolling through all the articles and all the news, and all of a sudden I see this headline that says something about Glenn Beck, the Nazarene Fund, and it seemed positive, and then I realized you were uh, responsible for this. Uh, Faithwire is one of the few organizations that actually wrote something about the Nazarene Fund. Right, yeah, leave it to someone who worked for Glenn Beck for over a decade to have to be the one <laughs> to go ahead and write a positive story about, I don't know, someone donating $28 million to help evacuate uh, people in grave danger and, you know, donating a lot of their own personal funds and time and energy towards this and airtime and everything else. You know, heaven forbid someone write a positive story on that <laughs> uh, because and I, when I wrote it, by the way, uh, I didn't I Googled around. I don't know. You guys have probably done more in-depth Googling, but I, I saw maybe two, mm -hmm. two posts mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. I think it's I've seen two. One of them just kind of laid, laid out the facts. Yeah, one of, them, one of them kind of laid out the facts. The other one said Glenn Beck says he, or he raised $25 million. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a big investigation later and in how, you know, $4 of it was spent improperly. <laughs> you know that's coming, by the way. That's 100% yeah. coming. Uh, I, I, it is interesting. You know, Bill O'Reilly came on the show on Friday. He has a regular spot on the radio show on Friday. And he came on and he said, when he heard the number, he said, I would say that's probably the most money raised in a short time in the history of radio. And I think he's probably right on that. I can't think of anything. We've had the audience has stepped up so many times when we've asked them to donate and help people. But like, I don't ever remember anything like this. I don't remember ever seeing it. We, you know, we're both, you know, both sort of uh, interested in the history of radio and we follow it closely. I don't remember anything like this. This audience has stepped up like nobody's ever seen and no one wants to notice. 
No, they don't want to notice. And I think J.J. Watt might have raised some money, not by radio, obviously, but yeah. on like social media. And he raised a whole bunch of money for, uh, I think, some sort of relief. I'm, I'm forgetting which one it was. The floods, maybe something like that. Yes. And uh, but 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 he was widely praised. He's on all the morning shows. He gets all the rounds. It's just heaping praise on this guy left and right, which is great. I mean, he did an awesome thing. Yeah. But it, it just you can't help but wonder why can't they just bury the hatchet here? And, and look, I think it I think part of the reason, Stu, is because just the mere fact of a conservative audience of this guy that they say is so hateful all the time and he's racist and you know, xenophobe and hates immigrants, blah, blah, blah. Just the fact that this happened completely bucks all those narratives. Yeah. You're helping rescue Middle Easterners, <laughs> regardless of they're Christians or not. You're, you're helping a bunch of Middle Easterners get out of there. And uh, a lot of them going to maybe come here to America, potentially. And so, you know, that bucks so many leftist narratives that they probably sit there and look at it and go, Oh, yeah. Just the fact that this story exists kind of proves us wrong on about 80 percent of the things we said about this guy. So, yeah. And not to mention, it also forces the admission of how bad things are going over there. The fact that yes. a conservative radio audience needs to step up and do something like this is 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 kind of insane. There is a I would say a, a minority, but a vocal minority of people on the right who look at this story. And, and, and you said it just a second ago. Um, as some of these people might be coming to the United States. My understanding is that actually none of them are even coming to the United States. Okay. Um, they're going to third party uh, countries uh, who we've had to convince to take them. And, and thankfully, there are some that will do that. Um, and, you know, these are vetted Christians and other religious minorities who are being evacuated from certain death, right, from the Taliban. Um, there's a vocal minority on the right, however, that says, you know, hey, you should be focusing on Americans. Why are you doing this? And, I, you know, I... I certainly understand the, the, the general idea here, right? The America first thing, I don't like the slogan because of its history, but certainly we would all understand that we have to, with American resources, prioritize Americans. Uh, but there, has, there seems to be a little bit from some people, a loss of that connection to, to other Christians, to other people in need around the world. And that's a, I feel like that's a bad thing for America to lose. Yeah, so some of the comments when we published a story on CBN and Faithwire uh, about the Nazarene Fund were, what about the American Christians? And I'm just sitting there looking at this comment and I'm like, what about them? I mean, they're not getting chased around by a bunch of maniacal terrorists who will, are like going door to door ready to behead them for being apostates. Right. They're here at coffee shops and, you know, complaining that they've got to wear masks. So, uh, you know, it's what about them? I mean, I, I love American Christians, too, but do, do we need to send a plane to go take one of them from Kansas to California? Do we have to go evacuate the Christians out of California? We might. We might if it keeps going. I will say that's a, that's a, that's a charity I would get behind uh, evacuating <laughs> Christians from California. I, actually, I don't know. how. I don't know. How, how hard does your heart have to be to see? Afghans running for their lives and clinging to planes and then go, yeah, but what about the Americans? Darn it. Like, come on. Yeah. And look, uh, and number one, I think there's a legitimate worry that some of these, you know, people might not be vetted and we might get the, you know, the, take the wrong person out of there, even if they're not coming to the United States. I mean, I can understand that worry, though. These are people that, the, you know, the Nazarene Fund and its associated groups have worked with for a long time uh, in the country. 
Um, and secondarily, like there are real American citizens on the ground in Afghanistan. American Christians are on the ground, but we don't have any access to them. Those are people who are working with the government to get out. And I and I like while I would like to be able to go in and we would certainly spend resources if there was any chance to be able to go in into that airport and pull out American Americans, we would be happy to that. I mean, Glenn even said, look, if there's any Americans there with passports, they can get on the plane. The problem yeah. here is that the 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 U.S. Uh, government is restricting that they're they're doing all of that themselves. And I might add poorly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, of course, there's always that concern, but I, I feel like you have to err on the side of, uh, you know, err on the side of saving the people first. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, deal deal with the rest of it later and, and, you know, let the chips fall where they may. I feel like you have a much, especially if you're a Christian and you're thinking about how is God going to view this? I feel like choosing your own comfort and your own quote unquote security and stability over a chance to help someone else who's in a dire situation. I, I personally just don't agree. think that's the right way to go. I mean, you know, I, I, I feel like it's being a little bit on the selfish side to just choose this comfort and quote unquote security, um, you know, from a Christian view. I, I understand why just secular conservatives won't look at it that way. Sure. But I'm specifically thinking, you know, from a Christian view and from a government policy view, I understand why that's the priority. However, like right. if you pull out someone who is not perfectly vetted and they go to Qatar and, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I'm happy to get any Christian that needs to that is in threatened or any person who's being threatened uh, with murder from the Taliban out of that situation. I mean, you know, and, uh, you know, they're not it's not like we're landing them in, in Topeka here. Um, uh, at least uh, not with our organization. Um, yeah, I want to I hit a little bit on, because we, we started with Glenn way back in the day, uh, you know, back when no one knew who Glenn was, basically. Uh, and we've gone through this, this period that has really enveloped, I mean, the, the Afghanistan war is really our entire careers. I mean, we started right before uh, it began, and now it's finally ending, and here we are. And I think it's been interesting to look back as I've thought back over the past 20 years. There's been a real change among conservatives in how they view war generally. The early years of our career, when we were at 970 WFLA as we went to national. There was, you know, we wanted to get the bad guys like that was there was real passion in the audience to go to Afghanistan, obviously, but also to go to Iraq. I mean, it was a heavily supported war not only by just conservatives, but by the people of the United States when it began, even though the left immediately soured on it. Um, it that has changed. I mean, I, I don't know if it's Trump I mean, who, who definitely came in and, and shook that up, that, that mindset up. Um, I don't know if it's just people being tired of war and then these things lasting so long. Have you noticed that change? And what do you, what do you, uh, how do you, why do you think that happened? Yeah, I think I've noticed. I, I've noticed a little bit of, of that. And me personally, I would chalk a lot of it up. First of all, I don't know that everybody thought we were going to be in there for 20 some years. Yeah. Um, and there's a distinction to make, too, on is it an ongoing war when you only have a couple thousand troops there? Um, so but to me, I would chalk a lot of it up to the uh, to rah, rah, this is my team and I'm supporting, you know, whoever. I mean, because remember, it was just a few months ago when Trump had or I guess a year or so ago now when Soleimani got bombed out of the sky there. And, mm. you know, that was a controversial move at the time. But all the all the people that are kind of Trump supporters were like, hey, that's great. I mean, kill him. We're better off without him. It's like no concern over what that could have potentially triggered. Um, and, and I happen to agree. I think it was 
the right move. I have no problem with that. But but I do think you see a lot of just social media over the last however many years, five, 10 years has really kind of helped entrench us into our teams. And I think you see a lot of people more willing to take a position because of team rather than principle. And so, but I do, you know, and and maybe I'm wrong on that take. I mean, I, obviously I can't know for sure. That's just my sense I get, but it, it does seem like there is this attachment to that um, isolationist view that Americans just say, All right, we can just get out of there. Let everybody else fend for themselves. Yeah. And, uh, there's a, you know, a, a, I don't agree with that view personally. Yeah. That, that rise of, isol- uh, that's, it's sort of isolationist and like, it's sort of a libertarian, um, uh, uh, view as well. You don't want to be involved. You don't want to be the world's policeman. We all, we all understand that. Right. Um, yeah. You know, as you point out, we have what I think it's fifty thousand troops in in South Korea. We have I think thirty five thousand troops in Germany. Like we don't look at those wars as ongoing wars. You know, right. Afghanistan. We have twenty five hundred troops, and everyone's like, it's the forever war. I mean, I, I don't know if you're stationed in Afghanistan and it's relatively safe. We've pointed this out on the show before. I don't think there's been a combat death in Afghanistan in eighteen months. There have, you know, there have been some deaths of like car accidents and plane crashes and, you know, things that are obviously terrible, but could happen anywhere. They could happen in our in Nevada. Um, so I, I think that framing is wrong. Um, when you look back at this, we know how Joe Biden handled the withdrawal was terrible. There's no question about that. I don't even think anybody on the left questions that really all that much. Um and we, you know, I, I'm highly critical of the way this all came about anyway. I don't think we should have been negotiating with the Taliban, for example. But like, what should we have done? If we were go back, you know, Dan Andros, president of the United States, you're running the military. This is a terrible scenario for our country. But what in this scenario would you have done? Uh, if at what point, at what point in the timeline am I starting? Like, at let's go back a year. I mean, so we've gone through a, a long struggle of war. It's been going on for a long time. The appetite to leave is pretty high from the American people. What do you do? Well, look, if, if the deadline, if the withdrawal order hasn't been signed yet, I don't know where, if that's the point of the timeline we're at yet. Me personally, I, my policy, the Dan Andros foreign policy would be, I'd rather leave that very small force there if it ensures some sort of stability, we we were in uh, um, other countries for longer than this to help make sure that their governments got in place and everything else. Afghanistan's a whole nother animal with the terrain and, and the Taliban and everything else. So me personally, if it takes if 2000 troops have to rotate in and out of there and kind of have a small presence and it keeps it together, I I don't count that as a forever war in my book. I mean, like you said, like these other places are stationed. So um I think it's worth it because I'm watching these scenes unfold. And maybe Joe Biden's right that, yeah, anytime you pulled out, you know, yeah, of course, you could do it better than this. (laughs) But but once we're out, then is the Taliban still going to just run in and and take over? Probably. Probably. I mean, maybe at least we get all of our people out safely at that point. But then the problem is because if you go back to the beginning of the war, when George Bush goes in, if someone were to go, hey, George, uh, before you go in here, we're going to fast forward ahead and take a look at this. And, uh, you know, I, I, I got a vision and I saw it in 2021. The Taliban just takes it over and we lose, you know, like Afghanistan. Does George Bush go in at that point? <laughs> right. Is he like, um, I don't know. I will say um, back in 2001, so, I did not see this coming. I mean, we had them on the ropes. They were trying to surrender in November of 2001. And we didn't accept their surrender, thinking we could wipe them yeah. off the face of the earth. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I, I just and I get the, the sense I get from military. I can't even imagine how military people who serve there feel. Mm. And there's a reason for that feeling. And to me, it's because what we're doing is wrong, not even just the method of the exit and the, the backwards order. And you should have got the people out first, but just that the Taliban's there and taking it over. And we're negotiating with the Taliban like they're some sort of legitimate force. Well, I mean, they just signed a, a guy up as their defense secretary or something like that who was in Guantanamo. So someone we had in Guantanamo as a prisoner is now in like the cabinet for the Taliban. And it's like, how does that sit well with anyone? And if it takes leaving 2000 American troops there to keep that from happening, that's what I would do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some people argue that that wouldn't have been enough. Maybe the number is 5000. But I mean, just enough to have a uh, an ongoing threat for the worst case scenario. You know, I, I even think you could pull back to the point of saying like we're not going to we're not even going to intervene in every conflict between the Afghan troops and the Taliban. You're going to have to deal with some of that yourself. But if we have if you're starting terrorism planning again, if you're going to go into a village and murder nine, you know, nine thousand little girls, you're going to hear from us. So right, don't do yeah. that. I mean, we're, we, we have a base at Guantanamo. You brought it up. We've got a base on Cuba. <laughs> right. <laughs> they don't like us right. either. Right. I mean, it would be awfully nice if they started a terror camp out there in some desert in Afghanistan. That if we could just, oh, hey, guess what? We're going to take the drone for a little flight today and blow them up. Yeah. Uh, you know, that it would be nice and easy to be able to take care of that right over there and also not have their government collapse and fall apart. So that would be nice. That would. <laughs> It would be a nice thing. Uh, Dan Andros, managing editor of Faithwire. You can get, we're going to tweet out the story, Dan, make sure that people get to see it, that you wrote about the Nazarene Fund. It's important that somebody uh, gets to uh, actually uh, cover this, and we do really appreciate that. We're up over $30 million now. Glenn was in the Middle East today. Uh, we're hoping, you know, hoping to learn more in the next couple of days on the radio. Uh, Dan, thanks so much for coming on. All right, thank you. So one of the best-selling albums of all time is Nirvana's Nevermind. And, uh, of course, you probably remember that if you remember the 90s at all. The cover of the album has always been a, a kind of a strange thing to me, though. It's a baby got thrown into the water. And you remember, he's kind of chasing a dollar on a hook because, you know, capitalism is bad. And no one told you, no one knew that better than Nirvana, who made millions and millions and millions of dollars off of it. But, you know, even babies chase the dollar. And that's capitalism equals bad. Anyway, for whatever reason, they decided to put his wiener on the, the album cover. I, I mean, you could have easily put the, this picture on the cover without the, his wiener showing. So this poor baby wiener has been out there exposed to everyone who buys his album all this time. Well, this is going to surprise you. I don't know if you I don't know what you know about uh, human anatomy and, and physics and such, but that the baby grew up to be a, an adult. And so now the adult Spencer Eldon, he is suing Nirvana <laughs> because he's like, hey, you put child porn on your freaking cover. Can I don't like you've just without asking me, of course, uh, you may be uh, aware I did not have an opinion on it at the time or have a right to say no. In fact, all they got was two hundred dollars, I guess, for the night's shoot. 
uh, their dad, I guess, said, okay, sure, yeah, whatever, yeah, I'll give you, give me 200 bucks. And they didn't really even know what was going on. Of course, certainly didn't know that it was going to be one of the biggest selling albums of all time. Now, this guy who, who was the baby has recreated the photo multiple times, like to celebrate the 20th anniversary. So he's been sort of, it's hard to tell really exactly what's going on. He's tried to reach out to Nirvana. He's been sort of rejected by the, um, by the members, one of which who never responds to anybody because he's been dead for quite a long time. Uh, but the other ones aren't responding either. Um, and so is this, he's at the, I, guess, I think he's at the end of the sort of statute of limitations on this. Maybe he's just going for a cash grab. Wants like $150,000 from all the band members and a bunch of people responsible for the album. And oddly, the drummer, for, the previous drummer of Nirvana, who didn't even play on this album, he wants 150 grand from him. This guy who's like the fifth Beatle, you know, he was the drummer before they were big and then got kicked out of the band and uh, he wants to get his cash too. I don't know, it's a very strange story. Another strange story uh, from today is this OnlyFans story. Now OnlyFans is a website, I'm sure you go there all the time. My page, uh, no, I don't have a page on, on OnlyFans. Or do I? No, I don't. Or do I? You'll have to check, don't go and Google it. Um, but yes, there's <laughs> OnlyFans is a, basically a subscription site where I would say it seems like the main use of the site is to go, you subscribe to some random uh, person you think is hot, and then they take naked pictures of themselves, basically. Like it's almost like a pay-per-view for individual people uh, where you can you know, get pictures of them without their clothes on. Anyway, they decided, it's grown into this big site and they decided, hey, we're going to take this, uh, maybe make some cash, maybe take it public, maybe get some financing, whatever it is. And then they realized the banks were pre pressuring them, saying, like, you've got, like, porn all over your site. We don't do business with porn purveyors. So they made an announcement just, like, last week and said, look, we're getting rid of the porn. No more porn on OnlyFans. And then they realized the only reason people go to OnlyFans is porn. So, so many people pushed back on this. They've now completely reversed themselves. This is like the new Coke thing. They came out with a new flavor. They're like, hey, we got a new formula for Coke. And everyone's like, why the hell do we want a new for formula for Coke? Okay, here's Coke Classic. We promise we'll never do that again. That's kind of what's going on with OnlyFans. I guess they found someone who was willing to work with a porn purveyor. And it's, I'm stunned to hear that in today's world. You'd think the standards of bankers would be so much higher. But apparently, no. Remember when your mom used to tell you to eat healthy? You gotta eat, you gotta get your protein. You gotta get all the, all the foods, that, the healthy foods that you need. And you were like, I, I wanna eat chocolate, okay? Give me a chocolate bar. Well, Built Bar knew both sides of that. And they said, hey, what if we have something that's healthy, that has protein in it, but tastes like a chocolate bar? Like, a, or a coconut chocolate bar, like a, a mint brownie bar, a double chocolate bar, a salted caramel bar, a cookies and cream bar. What if we had all these amazing flavors and people could also get their protein and be healthy? 18 grams of protein, 180 calories or less, only four grams of sugar, four net carbs. This is incredible, right? Well, Built Bar has done it. They've pulled it off and you can get rid of that sweet tooth and still be healthy. Built.com is the place to go. Built.com. You can use the promo code STU15 and save 15% off of your first order. My wife has bought every bar on the market, and this is the one she loves. Built.com. STU15 is the promo code for 15% off at Built.com.
Studiosamerica.com is a place to go for all the links to the show. You can get every episode of this show on YouTube for free. Please go there, subscribe, click the bell, do all the things. This comment comes in. You can comment on the show live. Uh, tried to explain Studios America to a lefty friend of mine. I said, it's kind of like a more conservative daily show, except you get harder news and it's more funny. I like this stupid show. Well, I like you. Thank you so much. And thank you for calling the show stupid. It always feels good. And even when I say it. You can also review this uh, podcast uh, anywhere you get your podcast. Uh, five stars is the appropriate number of stars, though. That is important information to have. All the likes. It's a podcast by Stu. Great if that floats your boat. Whatever, man. You do you. Five freaking stars. Thank you so much. And remember, whenever you review this podcast, uh, it not only helps us, it also hurts others. And that is the most important thing. We appreciate you doing this. Um, there's a new story out today, and a lot of people focus on one part of it. Basically, Delta is telling their employees, look, if you are unvaccinated, you're going to have all sorts of new restrictions on you. And I want to give you some of these effective immediately. Unvaccinated employees are required to wear masks in all indoor Delta settings. This requirement will remain in place until community case rates stabilize. Starting September 12th, any U.S. employee who is not fully vaccinated will be required to take a COVID test each week while community case rates are high. Um, and beginning November 1st, this is maybe the part that got the most attention. Unvaccinated employees enrolled in Delta's account based health care plan will be subject to a $200 monthly surcharge. The average hospital stay for COVID-19 has cost Delta $50,000 per person, which is freaking incredible when you think about it. The surcharge will be necessary to address the financial risk the decision to not vaccinate is creating for our company. In recent weeks, since the rise of the B.1.617.2 variant, all Delta employees who have been hospitalized with COVID were not fully vaccinated. All of them, by the way. A lot of people are like, I can't believe this vaccine mandate thing. And I and I understand that a surcharge. I, you know, I don't like that at all. But what I like about this story is that they had to call it the B.1.617.2 variant because they can't call it the Delta variant. <laughs> I love that. All right. Back in a second. Only the cool kids make it this far in the show. So you're one of them. Thank you so much. BlazeTV.com slash Stu is the place to go to subscribe to Blaze TV. If you use the promo code Stu, you'll save 10 bucks. And why not keep your 10 bucks? I think so. Maybe you could apply that toward a Andrew Cuomo is awful.com mug or Chris Cuomo is worse.com mug. You can get both of those. I mean, it's Cuomo resignation week. Why not celebrate with the greatest mug in human history? Andrew Cuomo is awful.com. You can also get the Nancy Pelosi sucks pen there as well. Uh, and the brand new Taliban Joe uh, merchandise. I think you're going to like quite a bit. So go there. Studosmerch.com. Okay, here's what happened. Japan decided to build a roller coaster, and it's a big roller coaster at one of their big amusement parks. In fact, it is the fastest roller coaster in the world as far, as far as acceleration. And if you know anything about cars, you know how fast this is. Zero to 112 miles an hour in 1.56 seconds. That's freaking fast. Okay, fast roller coaster. What's the big deal? The problem is it seems to be breaking the bones of the people on it. Now, that's a minor inconvenience, right? I mean, you know, you think you're going, you might break an arm, you might break a leg. Actually, with six of the people that broke bones on this, four of them said they broke their back or their neck. Ouch, that really hurts. Although I will say, 
I am sick of coddling these safety culture people that we live with now. I mean, if your bones are breaking on a roller coaster, did you ever consider that maybe you're not drinking enough milk? Get the mustache going there. Sack up, ride the lightning, drink your milk, get your calcium, America. We'll see you tomorrow.